Hey everybody, uh, welcome in. It's Thursday night. We're here for Sports Plus Live. I'm Corey Miller here with Five Under Side Sports Director Frank Cusimano. And well, first things first, we're talking about sports. Got to talk about what's going on around all sports right now in the United States. Protests everywhere uh, in terms of racial injustice and what just happened up in Wisconsin. The Bucks down in the NBA bubble with the first team to say they weren't going to play. It's kind of sprinkled out everywhere. We're seeing it touch every sport. Even the NHL isn't playing. Uh, baseball, it's kind of here and there, hit and miss. Uh, some players are not playing. Some teams are not playing. Jack Flaherty on the Cardinals and Dexter Fowler said they weren't going to play last night, even though Flaherty was not scheduled to pitch. Uh, if you're watching live, uh, Jack Flaherty uh, talked uh, for almost a half hour today uh, explaining a lot of his thoughts on the on the issues and things of that nature. We're just we're frustrated. We're sick and tired of of you know there being conversation, but but nothing going on, nothing happening, nothing, no changes being made. And they were sick and tired. It started with the Bucks. They were just like we're not playing. Like, we're not playing. You know, you saw the Magic. They were out there. Bucks were discussing it up until tip off, and it was just like once they decided not to play, and Magic, they couldn't. You can't go play anybody if they're not going to play. The rest of the league followed suit. And the same thing happened in the WNBA. The Mystics said, I talked to, to one of them, and they said, we're not playing. And then the rest of the league followed suit. Some of the teams don't want to play, but to support them, to support the decision, to support everything. And, and it was just to bring to light the situation and force people to, you know, to ask the question, okay, well, why are they sitting out? And then, well, you look into why and you see why. And you see the, the causes it's supporting. And, you know, to bring light to a situation that happened in Wisconsin to bring light to the racial and social injustices that have continued to go on and continue to have happened. All right. So if you're on the podcast, you just heard Jack Flaherty. Frank, I mean, this is kind of a crazy couple of days we're seeing here and there's a lot to take from it. But one of the main things I'm taking, the players have a lot of power here and you saw it with LeBron down in the bubble. If what he says goes and the players, they don't want to play. So they're not playing. They're showing what kind of power they have right now. Yeah, the uh, NBA players definitely yield more power, I think, than any professional athlete. I think the NFL Players Union would have a tough time, you know, bullying the NFL owners or orchestrating things, I should probably say. So uh, it, it was dramatic. I mean, let's face it, Corey, if the Milwaukee Bucks walk out of that locker room and play game five, then none of this happens. That set off the storm and it's given us something, you know, we've never seen in sports. I'll say this on the players' behalf. Um, they know that if they keep this up, and I think sports are going to return, it looks like it's trending that way, but it's costing them money. And that's, it will cost them money. And that's when you know these guys are believing in the cause and they will sacrifice, you know, money out of their bank accounts to express their feelings. There's, you, you know, even if you disagree with what they're doing, you have to, you know, in one sense, appreciate them being convinced they're doing the right thing. For sure. And we've seen a lot of people outspoken uh, around sports, uh, some emotional moments too. And I think we're going to see more to come. But like you said, it definitely we're going to get sports back here soon for the teams that aren't playing, uh, they've said for sure. Let's get to some sports that are going on, actually. And the Cardinals played two games today on Thursday when we're recording this. They lost both of them to the Pirates, a team that just got no hit. 
Uh, so that doesn't feel so great. But on the bright side, the starting pitching and really most of the pitching overall has looked really good since they've come back from break. I've been very impressed because I was I was pretty scared about some of these arms after sitting out for two weeks, but they look pretty good. Well, yeah, I mean, you uh, Adam Wainwright gives you seven innings. Uh, Jack Flaherty may be the best in the world at his craft. Uh, Dakota Hudson had a nice solid outing, solid outing where he retired, you know, the last 10 he faced. Um, you know, Daniel Ponce de Leon doesn't give you innings, but he does have good stuff and he strikes out a lot of people. But let me just say this, Corey. They better be good pitching because they can't hit. I mean, we're talking about a combined three runs and 15 innings against the Pittsburgh Pirates. The entire offseason, what did we say? Boy, that Cardinal offense is really questionable. They were 21st in OPS last year. They're 21st in OPS this year. Granted, it's the division is underperforming, and they can still sneak in. But, man, they got a hit, and I'm not sure if they will. It seems like in the past week they've stranded guys on third base at – just an alarming rate. I don't have any stats in front of me, but it seemed like the guys got guys right there, but just can't get them in. Even though a guy like Paul Goldsmith is maybe as hot as he's ever been, they just still can't get it done. And if that pitching uh, even bends, doesn't even break, they're in big, big trouble because this offense isn't showing up at all right now. Yeah, you have Brad Miller and Paul Goldschmidt who've been way above average. Dexter Fowler and Yadier Molina have been pretty good. But then outside of that, you're not, you know, wild about your offense. And I, I'll say this. Maybe because you won last year and you wanted to give these young outfielders a chance and some of these young players to grow, maybe you could rationalize having a quiet offseason. But if you finish this season 21st in OPS again, then John Mozeliak has got to realize hey, maybe it's not working. Maybe we do have to make a move. Now, let's just see what happens at the end of the year, but it's trending exactly like it did last year. Let's talk about Yachty real quick. I mean, I guess nothing he does should surprise us anymore, but he comes back from having COVID-19, and he immediately just takes off. He had four hits the other night. He had a home run tonight. He caught every inning of this doubleheader. Is there anything even more to be surprised about this guy anymore? No, he's terrific. And he's headed to the Hall of Fame. There's like no doubt about it now. I'm just impressed that at his age, and I guess he's 38 now, that he, he seems to be a better athlete at 38 than he was at 28. And I don't know how many people can say that in all the professional sports. You mentioned Mosellock maybe having to take a real hard look at things in the offseason, but they're going to have a chance to do that here in a few days. The trade deadline is coming up, but in a weird season like this, I don't even know what to expect. If everybody thinks they're buyers, if nobody's going to do anything because they don't want to sacrifice it for this short of a, a window in a year, Honestly, I'm not going to be too hard on John Mozeliak if he doesn't do anything, even though this team clearly needs it, because it's such a weird situation. Unless you can make a big splash of a guy that's going to be here for a while and getting him on a, a deal you like, uh, if it's prospects or guys already on your team, I don't think I'm pulling the trigger. Yeah, and I don't think many teams will. I think Corey... Um, with a dramatic reduction in income, and granted, I'm not trying to, you know, 
give you a sympathetic sympathetic look at Major League Baseball owners, but it's, the bottom line is just they've lost a lot of money. I can't picture a lot of organizations, and I believe Jason Stark brought this up the other day, that have had to cut people, have had to furlough people, and eliminate people from their organization, all of a sudden adding a lot in terms of payroll in this strange season. Now, with that said, Nolan Arenado is having a miserable year. And uh, I know he's, I don't think it's going to happen because the Cardinals are, have some good third base prospects too, and Brad Miller's hitting. But uh, I'm sure Colorado would be more apt to move him now than ever before. Oh, man. I, can't, I am the, you know, I want to stop thinking about that as a possibility. I'm like, well, maybe this, well, maybe that, well, maybe they can finally make it happen. It just seems like it's supposed to happen someday, even though we just keep getting the signs he's not going to come. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, I would, I'd put it at about 80, 85, 15 against, and probably not at the deadline either. And, you know, and you have Nolan Gorman, and you have these young third basemen. Your first round pick was a third baseman. I'm not sure... If you do it, I'd, I'd love to see it. But by the way, he's not hitting at all. Yeah. Uh, let's talk. You talked about them. They're still in the mix pretty easily. According to a lot of uh, things I've seen, fan graphs and baseball reference have the Cardinals, at least yesterday, I believe, it was in the 80 to 90% range of them making the playoffs as one of the top eight teams in the National League. So they're pretty confident the Cardinals are at least going to get a chance in the postseason. Excuse me, because it's such a weird year and so many teams are making it and the Reds are not playing well and the Pirates are not playing well. And so it's kind of going to be a, a three team race for two spots out of the central. And the Cardinals really just have to beat out the Brewers, which I think they should be able to do. So even though things aren't great and this team can't hit right now as we talk, I think got a pretty good shot at still making the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you think of the tools we talk about with an individual player, speed, absolutely, glove, absolutely, um, the ability to throw the ball. I mean, their outfielders, most of them have very good arms. Uh, you just, the other two is hitting for average and hitting for power. Maybe a guy like Paul Goldschmidt can simply say, get on my back, I'm going to carry you. He's certainly capable. This is the best he's looked in a long time. Yeah, last thing Cardinals-wise, a little bit uncharacteristic, especially since Mike Schilt's taken over. The defense has really suffered in the last few games here, and it, I think you can make the case it's cost them a few games uh, with some timely errors. So they're going to have to clean that up as well, and we've seen Schilt whip these guys into shape. He's going to put them in the right positions to be successful in the field for sure. So I think the defense will be cleaned up. Let's move on. We'll stay on baseball, but a little bit away from the Cardinals. You were able to talk one-on-one -on -one with Mike Matheny, uh, when the Royals were back in town to play the Cardinals for uh, a couple games here earlier this week. And it was a really interesting interview. And it seems like he's taken to heart, okay, I kind of didn't know what I was doing for a lot of the time here in St. Louis. Let me look inside, reassess myself, listen to people of what I need to get better at. Let me get better. And it's some really interesting ways he's trying to do that. Yeah, um, I think where he felt he was really not ready to handle it was dealing with the media. And for our listening audience right now, I just want you to know what a manager has to do on a daily basis in terms of media commitments in a normal year. Okay, so you talk to the writers, 
Then you talk to the broadcasters. Then you talk to the play-by-play people. And then at the end of the game, you talk to everybody. That's four times a year, four times a night. And that's a hundred and maybe 82 times a year if you count spring training games. So Mike felt a loyalty to the players. And what, he, what I mean by that is he was not giving with the media. He did not want to say anything negative about a, about a player. And it comes back to haunt you because you have to give the media something because they're a conduit to the fans. And Mike it was never mean-spirited. It was never nasty, but he didn't figure that one out, uh, you know, until now. But I just admire a guy, you know, in his 50s who went through this dramatic change. I mean, God, Corey, he goes to Colorado State for a management master's class to be a better leader. Then he hires a University of Kansas professor to deal with the media. Then he brings in a bunch of analytics guys to find a closer connection with his old school and the new school of analytics. It's not like he went, you know, 60, he won 60 games a year here. He's the first manager in baseball history to go to the postseason four straight years. He did some good things. I admire the fact that he has evolved and is trying to get better and better. I agree. It is, I, I, it is pretty admirable that he's going out and listening to people and taking some honest looks okay, I can be better here, be better here. And he's taken some approaches to make that uh, make that work. It's going to be tough for him in Kansas City. I'm not going to lie. They're on the rebuild road. They've got some decent pieces, but it's going to take a little while, I think, for them to be sincerely competitive, probably at least three or four years, I would say. Uh, but I think the Royals are going to commit to him, and uh, hopefully he can uh, turn them around there because we know when Kansas City baseball is good, the fans come out, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I like their young offensive talent. It has a chance to be really dynamic, and he can keep that in place. Uh, they got to get lucky with some minor league pitchers and that they develop into Dakota Hudson. They, they're going to have to find some pitching because I'm sure they're not going to be able to go the free agent route. And I don't know. Who knows? Maybe if they deal Trevor Rosenthal at the deadline, they get you know a ransom in return. But, yeah, I'm, I think he's in a good spot. You know, I think he's, he's going to be just fine there. You can count me on the list of being very shocked that Trevor Rosenthal would be one of the high, highest coveted uh, trade targets on the 2020 trade block after what we've seen the last two seasons. But again, we've talked about this a lot. You had Trevor on your radio show. Great for him, too. He's making a comeback. Those two in Kansas City, wish him the best. Uh, let's move on to a little bit less uh, less fun topic, although this seems like it happened Honestly, to me, it seems like it happened a long time ago. But the Blues were eliminated from the postseason up in Edmonton just uh, this past weekend, although it does really seem like forever ago. Honestly, for maybe a couple stretch of periods, it looked like, okay, this is the team we saw last year. But overall, I just never I never thought they had it. I don't know if it was the stop and the start or the being in the bubble or missing a bunch of guys or what it was, but they just didn't click. It just wasn't going to happen this year. And I think that was pretty evident. Well, I think your last point is the most valid one missing a lot of guys. I think there were six guys who played in that game seven in Boston who didn't play in that game six in Edmonton last Friday night. And, you know, you had, you know, the superstars, you had, you know, you're missing Vladimir Tarasenko, which is huge, but you were also missing Tyler Bozak 
Alexander Steen was a really effective player last year. And you're missing really good players. So it wasn't the same team. And then, you know, when Doug Armstrong reveals this week about how 20% of the team had COVID at one time, and then you hear Coach Barubi talking about he didn't like the conditioning and they better show up in great shape next training camp. So you didn't have your legs. You didn't have five or six guys. That was a recipe for disaster. And it turned out to be just that. Let's look uh, forward now at this offseason. First of all, the only thing anybody's really talked about since the Blues got eliminated was Alex Petrangelo's future in St. Louis. The captain is up. Uh, he's a free agent. He's going to cost a lot to retain, and the Blues don't have a whole lot to spend. Frank, I don't – I mean, if Alex wants what he's worth, and he, he is on the open market worth quite a bit, I don't see how the Blues get this done unless they want to – deconstruct part of their team and possibly put themselves behind uh, for a few years, honestly, if I'm looking at it. Well, the object to sustain greatness is to keep your great players. And when you have fewer and fewer great players, uh, you just don't win as much. I mean, so that's the most obvious statement I've ever made. Well, C Corey, you just lost Vladimir Tarasenko. That's a great player. He's not coming back next year. Um, do you want to lose another great player in Vladimir Tarasenko and in, in, in Alexander Petrangelo? Or, excuse me, Alex Petrangelo? I, I don't think you can. And I think he's going to stay. He said some things this week that made you think, yeah, I think he wants to really, really stay. One of those is he likes the idea of maybe having his jersey in the rafters. Who knows? Maybe a statue. He likes the idea of, of taking his kids to a game at the Enterprise Center and seeing all that. If he leaves... There's going to be no jersey up in the rafters. I don't care if he captained a Stanley Cup champion or not. I like the fact that his wife went to Pattonville, and they have such strong roots here in St. Louis. I know the Blues won't get to the Florida Panther offer or the Toronto Maple Leaf offer, but I think they can put together a pretty good deal, and I think they're going to keep him. I hate to play devil's advocate, Frank, but these sound like a lot of the things we were saying when um, Albert Pujols headed to Anaheim. Well, if, if Alexander Petrangelo gets $220 million, I'll pack his bags and drive him <laughs> to the airport. I mean, Corey, I think the difference would be a million and a half more a year. Let's say Toronto went like 10 and the Blues went eight and a half. It, you know, it's, it's a difference, but I don't know. It's, it's a tough decision. I, I just, maybe I'm being too much of a homer here, but I just think he's going to stay. They're definitely better with him than without him, and that defense definitely needs him after what we saw from a lot of the other guys up in Edmonton. You mentioned Tarasenko. Really tough news. Another surgery on his shoulder. Going to be reevaluated in another five months. This just really stinks for a guy who's supposed to be in the prime of his career who is just so exciting to watch. And now, I mean, he came out very strongly. I'm not done. Don't worry about my career. I'm focused on getting back. But, man, this is just a huge setback for a guy we thought was going to be back and ready to go. What do you see his immediate future looking like with the Blues? Well, it's eerily similar, and I mentioned this on television last night to Scott Rowland. Rowland was slightly older but was the best at his craft. He had the second shoulder surgery after the collision with Hesop Choi and was never the same. Um, 
I can't picture a guy in a contact sport having one part of his body as important as the shoulder operated on three times and coming back and scoring 40 goals. I hope I'm wrong. I know he's a hard worker. And I know he did a great job with his rehab the last time, but this is, this is a tall task. You know, Corey, you can come back like from Tommy John, Tommy John surgery if you're a baseball pitcher, and you can come back from ACL if you're a football running back, but in a contact sport, three shoulder surgeries, well, I just hope he has an incredible surgeon because the last surgery, as Doug Armstrong mentioned, just didn't take. Yeah, wishing the best for Tarasenko. Uh, last Blues-related thing, after they lost, of course you go online and everybody's doom and gloom talking about, okay, well, Petrangelo could be gone, Tarasenko's out. Uh, they kind of depleted some of their prospects and draft picks. Is... Uh, is how close is the window now? Obviously, there's still a lot of talent here, but do you look at this as a the same team that could maybe put together maybe two or three cups within a six seven year period as as good as we were feeling after last year? Well, the window will be open as wide as Jordan Bennington can push it up. I think it's really going to be about him. Um, my gut feel is. The postseason was an aberration, and he really is that good. But there's also a chance that, hey, there's a reason why he didn't get a chance for a long time. And maybe that was just a brilliant year and a half for him, and he's just okay. I don't think so. I don't think this is like – I covered a goaltender with the Blues named Roman Turek, and he would fold like a napkin when there was you know, a problem. This kid, I like his guts. I like his guile. Do I look nervous? I mean, I think he's going to come back and be great. Now, if he's not, then it's game, set, match, and you're not going to be as good as Colorado, Las Vegas, Vancouver. But if, if Jordan Bennington is Jordan Bennington, they can be right back in it next year. I think that's spot on. That's exactly what I was going to say. Bennington has to be the guy, and at least – somewhat of the guy we saw in the 2019 playoffs. He doesn't have to stand on his head quite as much as he did, but he's got to be a lot better than what we saw this past year for this team to make another run at this thing because we know they got young talent. If they bring back Petrangelo, they've got him and O'Reilly and a lot of good veterans as well. But it comes back to the goaltending, which has been the problem for the Blues' really entire franchise history leading up to uh, when Jordan Bennington got hot and won him a Stanley Cup. So I think you're right. They'll go as far as Bennington will carry them if they want to keep their window open. Very last thing, uh, our list uh, we're counting down this week is a pretty fun one. The uh, 10, 10 most notable St. Louis sports flashes in the pan. Guys who came up for just a short period of time, kind of took the town by storm. I thought I was we were kind of brainstorming ideas for this list, and I don't know why I thought of Bo Hart, but for some reason I want to build, have a list that included Bo Hart. And this kind of made sense. He really epitomizes a flash in the pan, doesn't he? Yeah, arguably the best first 10 games of a major league career in history, eclipsing Kirby Puckett, the Hall of Famer's record for batting average. It's amazing, Corey, because when we put these lists together, I'll chat with you, I'll chat with Andy, with Mike Claiborne, with Mike Bush, with Ahmad, Larry Thornton, and... Everybody, the first thing, everybody's first name was Bo Hart. 
He is the poster child for flash in the pan. There's no doubt about it. I thought uh, Austin Davis was an interesting one, too, because I'll admit, I mean, I was looking for any kind of positive Rams, anything positive Rams-wise to happen around that, when was it, 2013 to 2015? I don't know. In the middle of their terrible stretch. And Austin Davis kind of, uh, he had me buying in for a little bit there. I thought this was going to be, now you said Brett Barr called it another Kurt Warner. I wasn't quite that far on board, but I thought, okay, maybe we finally found a guy who could stabilize this and you could build a team around him. Didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I think Brett Favre uh, loved him because they both went to Southern Miss. But I can remember being in that locker room and I can be a prisoner of the moment kind of guy. And we had these stationary quarterbacks who couldn't move out of the pocket. And then they said, what the hell? Let's give this kid a chance. And he's running, he's making plays down the field. He's, you know, energizing a squad. He's throwing 17 to 20 against Seattle. He was just so fun to watch, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy. And I'm glad he's found work as the quarterback's coach with the Seattle Seahawks. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in. If you watch this live on uh, social media on Thursday night, or if you're listening on the uh, Sports Plus podcast, that'll do it for this week. We will be back next week. Hopefully the Cardinals uh, look a little bit better here and start to get some more offense. So we got some more uh, positive Cardinals news to talk about. But that's it for now. Take it easy, everybody.